welcome to Asians Represent. I'm Daniel Kwan. And I'm Agatha Chang. And we're your hosts. Now, we don't have much news other than we want to thank you, you know, the listeners who joined us for our first Asians Represent community Twitch stream. Do, 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 do. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Um, man, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> I will keep doing that. Uh, yeah, you, you should. Yeah, you're way better at it. Um, last Wednesday... I streamed Overwatch on my Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Daniel H. Kwan, uh, with fans of Asians Represent. Yes. Uh, I threw my Battle.net ID up on the One Shot Podcast Discord in the Asians Represent tab, and we played Overwatch together, and I plan on doing that you know, for the foreseeable future. And Agatha has Overwatch and hasn't played yet. I, so, I have yet to download it, okay? Yeah, so this is the you know, perfect reason to do it. So every Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, we'll be playing Overwatch with you, know, you fans of Asians Represent. So if you want to do that, you know, hit us up on Twitter, find my Battle.net ID on the One Shot Podcast Discord, and we'll get playing. And if you don't have Overwatch, you can still join in by you know, getting in that Twitch chat. You know, it, it's going to be a good time. Today's episode is part two of our learning through play. Yeah, and our featured creator for this episode is Derek Chung. Yas. Now, Derek is one of the founders of Nomnivore Games and currently has a game on Kickstarter right now called Emberwind. And we had an amazing conversation with Derek about, you know, game design, life, therapy. Mm-hmm. It, it was and an amazing incorporating episode. therapy in in game design. Yeah, and so last week's ep- last week's last month's episode <laughs> was about you know history and culture and gaming, and this one is about therapy and connection and gaming. Mm-hmm. And we hope you like this episode. So Daniel, before we get to our thick interview, it was amazing. Yeah, it was. He's, he's great. Um. What do we want to talk about? Well, we kind of wanted to talk about how RPGs have kind of, you know, impacted our lives. And I kind of wanted to start off, you know, this episode of Agents Represent with a story uh, about my professional life and how, you know, I came to discover the profound social impact that RPGs have had on my life. Because we just had, after after Derek left, you know, my place, mm-hmm. we just had like a two-hour conversation about, you know, the social aspects of gaming. Yep, it's true. We probably should have recorded that as an episode. Yep, not going to lie. I'm a little tired now. Yeah, I'm a little, (laughs) yeah. Um, But it was really good. So as as many of you know, I I work in a museum and I use RPGs for education. And we talked about that in episode two. But one of the things that I also do in my professional life is I run an organization called Level Up Gaming. And I run this with two of my really good friends, one named Christian Blake. He's an occupational therapist. And the other is Kelsey McIver. Kelsey is a spec ed teacher. And the three of us kind of met at the Royal Ontario Museum, all working in the education department. Now, when I had first started off my teaching career there in RPGs, I had a parent come up to me um, one summer and her son was on the spectrum and she said, hey, uh, let me know if, you know, you have you run into any problems or this isn't a good fit. Uh, I'll just come and I'll pick them up. And, you know, this is before I had any, like, training in this. And I said, no, 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 this is, you know, not a big deal. This won't be any different than any other student we've had. 
And I had this student and he started off just playing, you know, the classic, the, the D&D barbarian. You just go and you just kill everything. True. And we ran into no issues. And he became my student for five years. For the next five years, I got to see him you know, blossom into, you know, like an adult. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. He started, his characters changed dramatically. He, I got to see him transition from, you know, being homeschooled to going to like a regular high school. He was, you know, reading and writing far more regularly. He would come in with notes for my campaign um, <laughs> that I was running with him. And I had this moment. I was sitting in an airport. I was at, I was at JFK and I was going to fly to Greece. And I got an email from his mom. And she said, hey, Daniel, you know, blank uh, isn't going to be coming back for the last two days of your Saturday program at the ROM. And at first I was like, oh, what happened? And she said, he isn't going to come back because he feels like he's ready to work for you. He's ready to be a GM in your program. Yes. I know. And, and she basically, you know, thanked me and the staff for everything that we've done because we basically, we saved his life. We, using D&D and using Pathfinder, helped provide him with a space that he could, you know, develop his skills at his own rate. And I remember very vividly sitting in that airport and I was like at the bottom of this escalator in this waiting area and I started sobbing uncontrollably in the airport like crying out and I'm an ugly crier I'm like an ugly ass crier oh my god and I was like crying in this airport and I was like <laughs> like it was bad mm-hmm. and then I got on the plane and every the person sitting next to me was like you okay I was like I'm fine and I sent so I, I sent a response and I said yeah, absolutely let's it's totally okay it, it doesn't want to come in we could provide an alternative he can come in and he can just shadow and be a co-dm what ultimately ended up happening was he ended up coming back and taking a leadership program that we have at the museum and then becoming a volunteer DM in my program. Wow. And after that, he got a job, like a paid job at another camp. And so he went from being this camper who, whose mom was just ready to pull him at the sign of any problem to, to having a job, to having paid employment, doing something that he learned at the ROM. And he went from being a D&D camper and a participant to being a, like a volunteer GM. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I realized that like, holy shit, like RPGs are really powerful learning tools. And I sat there and I told my colleagues, Christian and Kelsey, and I was like, this, is, this just happened. And then I had another camper and then another. I had one who used to be violent and had to have you know, a one-on-one assistant but then ended up volunteering and making all these friends and then coming to camp with the same groups of kids every single time. And they always played together and then they played games outside of the museum. And so I, I I talked to Christian and Kelsey and I was like, okay, we have to do something because this is a really powerful tool for people and we can give this to other people. And so Christian said, well, there isn't a lot of programming for adults once you hit 18 and you're on the spectrum, the amount of programming that you can get is severely limited right. because people don't have those programs. And so we said, well, let's do something. So we started Level Up Gaming. 
um, to provide adults with autism and other disabilities, like group gaming opportunities to develop their social skills. And we did that. And we've been doing it since, well, for almost three years now. And we realized that, like, in addition to being incredibly educational in terms of science and history, RPGs, like, and not just D&D, are really powerful tools for building up and, you know, for lack of, for you to use a gaming term, leveling up your social skills. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when you sit at a table and when, you're, like, you and I were talking, right, and when we had Derek here and if, you know, we have somebody else here because we're bringing on a third person to Asians represent. Oh, whoa, yeah. Drop that hint. Um, you know, we are sitting in a controlled social environment. That's what Derek talked about. Derek talked about, you know, RPGs are special and different from online games because they bring you together at a table. Yes, you can play them online with Roll20 and all that. But in, the, in, in, in what they are, they bring you to the table to a controlled social environment. There are rules of engagement, like a military term. There are rules of engagement. There are objectives. And there is generally a moderator in the GM. But the GM also has rules of engagements and an objective of their own. And so... What we talked about with Derek was that, you know, yes, RPGs are powerful learning tools for all forms of learning, right? When you game and you are a member of a group, you have to recognize problems. You have to think about what they are, right? If you're approaching like a battle, okay, well, what are our obstacles? Or even if you're approaching somebody you have to talk your way past or a social conflict, you have to know what your problems are. You need to define what they are. I need to be able to communicate them to each other. Yeah. And after communicating to them to each other, you have to think, oh, what are your options, right? Well, maybe we won't just be the barbarian, to go back to my example, and just kill everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we'll step back and let the very charismatic bard go and talk to the guard because maybe we don't need to shed blood. Or maybe we do. But it's understanding that you have these options that's really important. Considering how you can do these. How can you, how can you execute these plans, these options? Putting them into action. And then the best part about RPGs is unlike a video game, when you execute a plan, you kind of just move to the next step of the video game. In RPGs, you think, okay, that didn't really work. Next time, let's try something different. Next time, let's let another person at the table do this. And that's what I love about RPGs. And that's why Derek loves about RPGs. And that's what I'm assuming you also love about RPGs is that they are communal democratic spaces to have conversations and develop understandings of ourselves. Yeah. I think what you said about um, uh, like instead of fighting our way out, but getting someone with, you know, high charisma or whatever to talk our way out is really interesting because actually just thinking about how um, playing RPGs has affected me personally, um, I <laughs> I feel like I've gotten better at negotiating with people. Yeah. Just because I like playing these kind of characters. It's it's definitely a space where there's not as many social consequences if you if you play like for example a more forceful character in terms of like a force of personality. Right. Like you can kind of get away with being like oh like I want this and then I'm going to negotiate my way through um without, you know, other people being like whoa this person is a little pushy, which I feel like oh, yeah. like especially a lot of women have a problem with this where it's like you don't want to get labeled as being bossy 
Right. But in game, like I was able to just be like, yeah, like, no, this is what I want. And then you kind of like, and you get to roll sometimes. So the, the rules support. Advocating for yourself. Yeah. They, they support these actions that you're taking. So you feel like, you feel like I am allowed to do this because the rules say they, they provide examples of how I can do it or. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, I feel like I've gotten better at communicating actually. Yeah. I mean, like when. Even with podcasting, like our rapport has gets better and better with every episode. Oh, snap. Oh, yeah. Because we're basically like, it's like we're playing D&D. We're exchanging a conversation, but we're also. It's like we're playing D&D. It's like we're playing D&D. <laughs> we're, we're learning to exchange space within a conversation. Yes. We're learning to ask for help mm-hmm. and providing it when asked. Yeah. Because that that's that thing. I can be that barbarian mm-hmm. and I can run up to the door mm-hmm. and smash my way through it. Mm-hmm. That's one solution. Or I can say, oh, I don't know what's on the other side of the door. Mm-hmm. We have a rogue friend. Rogue, would you be willing to pick that, kindly pick that lock for us? <laughs> kindly and, pick and, that and lock. And if the rogue doesn't feel like it, we'll just smash my way through. Yeah, yeah. It, it does, prov- yeah, just perfect right. situations for negotiating. And- yeah, it's, it's communal and RPGs involve literally every person at the table. Mm-hmm. Because the GM, ideally, ideally, the the GM has to be reflexive of the needs of the players, right? The GM says, okay, well, you know, maybe if they're struggling with these sort of social puzzles, for lack of a better word, when I mean puzzles, <laughs> right? Let's guide them into it, mm. right? Or maybe you know the characters are struggling to feel empathy towards any of the NPCs that I'm making. Oh, I see. Maybe I'm not. I'm making NPCs that I need. Maybe I should make NPCs that they need. Oh, that's very interesting. I've never thought about it like that. This is this is also a, a very like trad based like very. GM to player kind of like dichotomy. Yeah, totally. Um, but like, yeah, it's true though. And then in other that are less trad and maybe more indie, it's oftentimes even more collaborative, where constantly, oh, constantly players have a lot of input on the world yeah like when you walk into a town have you been here before yes who do you know yeah or like um you walk into this let's say you walk into this tavern (laughs) and the bartender gilda what happened with her last summer that makes her hate you or last time that you were here that makes her hate you and then this way oh this way that the the player gets to come up with this like yeah, you'd be story. Say like I flipped all the tables, so now the the tables can't be flipped because they're all nailed to the ground. Exactly. So this is like a great way for um just a lot of creative thinking, but also a lot of collaboration. And everyone, yeah. or ideally, people are all invested and then all learn to give each other space for a yeah. spotlight as well. But, but what makes RPGs so different from you know video games is that you know these games give you that narrative and mechanical freedom. So you talked about how like, yeah, I want to be assertive. I want to be bossy. And the dice reinforce the fact that I can. Yeah. Right. They, they let you do that. That's true. But maybe I also, you know, you know, like I can, you have the narrative freedom to say, change what the world is. Mm-hmm. Like why, why does the bartender hate you? Yeah. And that is entirely up to you. Yeah. Right. Everybody has a space at the table and everybody has a space in the story. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what makes these so powerful. Yeah. But also because like, especially with conventions and I would say like home games as well, but maybe less if you have a lot of familiarity with the people, but these are still always good to use, right? RPGs have something that video games don't and they're built-in safety tools. 
Yes. Like that segue? Like that segue? That was great. <laughs> I am rearing to talk about safety yeah, tools. Yeah, like built-in safety tools and with which you can actually easily moderate what's going on. So, yeah, I mean... Can't do that in a video game. People, you, the best you could do is just mute somebody. But if you mute somebody in an online game, you've just ended the conversation. Yeah, so in this... <clears throat> excuse me. I think every single table, virtual or physical, should have safety tools. Mm-hmm. on the table like it's just you are you're because i mean rpgs there's it depends on how much you project yourself into it so like how much bleed you experience which is when you what your the emotions that you're experiencing in real life um affect how you how your character feels in the game or how your character feels in the game affects how you're feeling outside of it i mean that that's people engage with it at different levels and people want or don't want it at different levels as well but in general like you you kind of feel like you are this person that you're playing in this game and so sometimes people have different lines uh in terms of what they're comfortable with and in terms of what they want their characters to experience or not. What they want covered by the veil. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, that's why it's so important to have um, safety tools, which are ways where you can negotiate that without it being, like, awkward or... or... Yeah, of, of course. Like, it, it, ever since, you know, I started using safety tools in my games, when I show up at a convention or, or a game especially in public and they don't have these i'm like that's a red flag that's a red flag yeah and like so now i always bring cue cards with me and i just make my own x cards yeah wherever i go yeah. i have a laminated one that that i got from uh skycon you are so fancy so i mean it wasn't me it was it was, <laughs> it was our friend Miriam who gave it to me oh nice yeah so the x card is uh created by john stavropoulos and it's basically a card and or a sheet of paper, or whatever it is that you have that has an X on it, and you put it at the center of the table, anyone who is uncomfortable with whatever content is brought up at the moment, it could be, um, it could be like, maybe someone's character is making an advance at your own character, and you're not comfortable with that, you put your hand on the X card, and then you explain what it is, so people know what you're not comfortable with, and then you cut it out of the game, and then you move on. Uh, yeah, it could be honestly anything. I remember once I, um, I think it was like I named an NPC like Steven or something and someone X carded it. And it's like, yeah, that's the name of my ex. And oh. I'm like, oh, damn. Yo. The thing is, you don't have to explain it to me, right? Like the yeah. person could just be like, I don't want that name. And that's cool. But that it's Steven is such a like random name. And because we have the X card, they had the space to say, no, I don't want that in the game. Yeah. And I was totally cool with changing it. It became. Yeah, because you you know, you don't you don't have to. You made the table a safer space for that one person. Exactly. Without ever crossing the really crossing the bridge of yeah. that discomfort. Yeah. The person definitely became Michael. <laughs> yeah. Which is also another common name. Maybe I should get better at naming. But you should, I saw this book and it's like a book of names. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It, are we are we talking about the same one? Yes, we are. The, the book e- of names. The everyone everywhere list. Oh, no. That's not what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw it at Metatopia and it's like. It's like fantasy names as well as like, you know, real names. It's four bucks on DriveThruRPG right now. Get it. Yeah, by Eric James Allsred. Great. 
Yeah, every, everyone everywhere list. I'm about it. I plan on getting it. You should. Yeah. And then another safety tool is lines and veils, which you touched on briefly. It's um, so this this is what you use like at the beginning of a game, where uh, like before you start a campaign or your one shot, whatever. The GM or whoever is facilitating can say, "Okay, so lines are." things that you do not want in your game yeah. at all doesn't happen so for example a lot of times in when i'm in a game i say i don't want sexual violence so that is a line for me i don't want that to be referred to i don't want that to happen in the background i don't want a period and then veils are things that you are comfortable with existing in the game but you don't want to see it on screen quote unquote which is some people they're like i don't want torture on screen so you want to veil that yeah, it's like it's like a like a like a TV sex scene. Like it like it just fades to black. Yep. And it just doesn't happen. It goes behind the veil or the curtains. Yep. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed you put in in our our notes for this episode is the support flower. I've never heard of that. Yeah, um, I heard about it uh, the first time. It was during Breakout Con, and it was. Um, I don't remember who it was that mentioned it, and I find it very fascinating. It's uh, this one is developed by Taylor Stokes, and it's basically it's like a card again on the table, and it has three petals. Uh, one is green, one is yellow, and one is red. So the how it works is like mm, it's more like a in terms of intensity level of right. how what you're role playing at the moment. So. So let's say we're role-playing an argument right now. Right. And you're like, it's not intense enough. <laughs> we need to go ham. Yeah, escalate. Yeah. So then, yeah, exactly. So if you want to oh, escalate okay. it, you put your hand on the green pedal. And that's like, oh. let's... So let, it's literally like a traffic light. Yes. It's like, go. Go more. I want more of this. I'm like enjoying this <laughs> this fight that we're having in-game. And then yellow is when you're like, yeah, this is good. Like, it's a good way to kind of assure the other person of like of the intensity level because sometimes you can't tell right if right. if we're both role-playing an argument like i'm role-playing it so clearly i am i look upset but maybe i'm really chill with this so then mm -hmm. if i put my hand on the yellow pedal then you're like oh okay like yeah there yeah, we're good we can keep um digging at each other we keep digging at each other. <laughs> throwing barbs. so does it actually like look like uh like a flower? I mean, it depends on the person. So, like, if you're a creative person, you can right. make it look like a flower. If you're basic like me, it's just, like, a card <laughs> yeah. with different colored blocks. <laughs> <on> <laughs> but I still call it a flower. Um, and then the red one is, uh, the red petal is to de-escalate the intensity. So when it's, like, we, we're, like, shouting at each other. And I'm, like, whoa, I'm, like, really uncomfortable. I put my hand on the red petal. And you see it and you're like, yeah. mm, you just, Ooh. you could just lower your volume. Right. And sometimes right. that's all it needs to so, deescalate the situation. So it's almost like having the pause, rewind, fast forward buttons on the X card. Have you ever done it with that? Yes. This is the, were you going to bring that in? This is the script change by Bree Sheldon. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like that support flower. I wonder, I want to try using that. Support flower? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to, like, kind of handle pacing or intensity without breaking flow. Because, like, so I feel like sometimes in online play, it's a lot easier for you to, like, check in with people while you're role-playing. So, like, we could be, like, arguing on screen, but then I could type in, for example, if we're doing, like, Google Hangouts, like, hey, are you cool with this intensity? And then you can be like, yeah, I'm cool, while we're still arguing with each other. Right. But, like, 
if you're at a table physically, then mm-hmm. just like putting your hand on that. Yeah, and, and it's less in, it's less intense than being like, yo, yo, we need to slow down. Yeah. It's more like. Yeah, which is a lot of times that's more comfortable for people to 100%. S- to express because you don't want to break that flow, right? You don't want to be that person who's it's like. It's less confrontational. Exactly. Yeah. Like most of the time people who feel uncomfortable don't bring it up actually in games because they don't want to. F- spoil the fun i think or like if you're playing with someone like at a con you're like i don't know this person like i don't yeah. know how to like we don't have that degree of familiarity where i can be like hey can we like chill you know like yeah. you don't say that to strangers especially at a convention yeah so Just like in the home game in like a home game you kind of know yeah you know other people's limits yeah i mean these, these are things that are learned through time yes and often through mistakes yeah but this way we, you don't have to we could take away a lot of the hurt, right? 100%. And make the games more fun. And, and and especially at a con, taking away that hurt or preemptively taking away that hurt is also a way of making cons more accessible to people. Yes. Because that could be a scary place to go and run a game mm-hmm. or so, play a game. Yeah. And a lot of times just knowing that you have a safety tool there as an option for you makes a person feel safer. And when you feel safer, well, you have more fun, but also you sometimes have... you are more creative yeah. because you and you're more comfortable with people being more creative as well because you know that if I'm not cool with it, I can just tap this red or yeah. this X card. And, and you need to make it clear to people that, you know, these safety tools are not to be, you know, manipulated for your gain. It's to be like, oh, I want to X card that dice roll. I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I have to explain to my students. Okay, that's fair. Like the X card is something because they're teenagers and this is not something that they encounter even in school. Yeah. Right. So the, I have to explain to them that these safety tools are like, you can't use them to retcon a dice roll. Mm-hmm. But what I really like about the rewind feature of you know yeah you want to talk about script change <laughs> i really want to talk about script change because go for because <laughs> miriam gave me this x card this laminated x card yes at at skycon and it's got the the big x on it mm-hmm. but it's also got the the color-coded symbols for fast forward rewind and pause oh okay cool all in the colors of the support flower oh which i'm now realizing oh so right? it's like a combination it's like the ultimate x card and audience can't see it but my like um, my arms are above my head yes they are and I really like using it for level up gaming hmm. because sometimes or, or any or any games that I play with my clients, sometimes people might want to act impulsively or they act impulsively and are like, oh, no, I really wish I didn't say that mm, true. so they can rewind it. <sighs> and it's a really good way of reinforcing the fact that playing an RPG is a controlled social environment. Oh, that's why I like it. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about rewind as in like I'm rewinding my own. Yeah, you're rewinding your own because because maybe you'd be like me. Imagine this. You're playing an RPG and you you say something and you realize it's really offensive. Mm-hmm. And you're like even, somebody else might X card that or something. But imagine if you did that and you said, wait, wait, wait I'm going to rewind that because I realized I said something wrong. Mm. Right now, imagine developing that skill yeah. through gaming. Oh my gosh. So it's not just for other people. It's for you to learn about how to communicate. Yeah. And pausing, being like, you know, you talked about like open door, mm-hmm. like open door, just getting up and you can leave whenever you want. Yes, right? that is, that is, <laughs> I but haven't mentioned You that put yet. that, yeah. <laughs> but like the pause button for me is really important because anybody can pause and be like, I need to communicate my needs, not because of the content, but maybe... 
I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I know that I can get so sucked into this game mm-hmm. that I, I might just like not go. Mm-hmm. And that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But if I know I can pause the game and not worry about people playing it without me, yeah. right, I can ad- advocate for, more for my health too. Yeah. Right? Oh, like sometimes when I GM, I get really into it. Yeah. And sometimes I forget that we need to take a break. Right. So my clients would be like, let's take Pause. a break. And I'd be like, good point. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did go like five minutes past when we normally take our break. Mm-hmm. Pause. And this ha- actually happened this week. And he said, pause. Nice. Right? So the, I like that. I like, you know, the, the script change mm-hmm. for, for what it does to the individual. Like, I think it's great for like, you know, you being able to like rewind something that another player just said or yeah. fast forward something like, oh, just stop describing all of this violence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I think the rewind is really powerful. And that's the one I like the most. Wow. Because it it, it doesn't let you recount dice rolls or something, but you're like, okay. Like like we said earlier, remember how I said like we recognize to find problems, explore your options, mm-hmm. you know, consider your strategies and put these yeah. into action. Yeah. Well, say you do all of that. Yeah. And you're like, oh that I shouldn't have done that. I should have gone with that other option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And not because of your bad dice roll, but maybe because of how it affected other people at the player at the table. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I realized that that was wrong. Okay, let me let me rewind. Yeah. And think about my other options. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, this is. Great. I want to go with this option, right? Because I saw what already happened. I skipped to the step where I reflected on the process and the outcome. But this script change actually allows me to learn. And implement that lesson immediately. Right. And now this isn't to say there are there are probably people out there who are listening and be like, oh well, I can just like if I say the wrong thing to this animated statue and I guess the password wrong, I can do that. No, no, no. It's not about that. Yeah. This this is about like your interactions with an NPC or your interactions with another player mm-hmm. or your interactions with the GM. Yeah. Oh, I really like that as a teaching tool. Right. Now that you said that, that that makes so much sense. And then also just briefly on the open door policy, it's basically that anyone who needs to leave the game or that's just the session at any moment are welcome to. This is something that not everyone has at their tables. And it's I think it's understandable. But yeah. but I always have it at my tables and I always love it at my tables as well. Um, this is, again, going back to that sense of safety which is that if you're not comfortable i'm stating right now preemptively that if you're not comfortable or if you just need to go like if you're just like having a bad day and you're like either really tired or you feel like you can't engage at the game with the game without bringing everyone else down which sometimes happens you know you had a bad day you're just like really crabby and you feel like you should leave or you know whatever thing happens you can just go without needing to explain yourself or getting any kind of social censure, which is the most important thing that we're it's the option is there and there are no negative consequences. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I think that I, well, I want to ask you this and I mean, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's not a strange question, but it's like, mm-hmm. there are many, there could be many answers. Okay. Hit me with it. What safety tools do you like to have at your table? Oh, Ooh, that's <laughs> a good question. So, yeah. Cause I think that this is the, the perfect segue into what, you know, our conversation with Derek. Yeah. So what I like to have my at my table is definitely the open door policy, the X card, lines and veils. And that's actually generally what I, that's it for what I do. Yeah. Because a lot of times the people that I end up gaming with are people who are comfortable with saying like, 
okay, I'm actually not going to do that, for example, without it already being a, a tool, you know, to fall back on. Yeah. So I've never felt the need to use it, but I do think now that you've talked about like script change, I do think that's a very great yeah, I think Option. more. I think more people should use script change, especially if you're gaming with like, kids. Yes, especially I agree. if you're gaming with kids. Uh, I, at minimum, always use the X card. Yes, always. Yeah. Um, and then now that I have this Uber X card, <laughs> I, I now I always have the X card and script change. With right. Me. Right. Um, and then you know, depending on the game, uh, and I usually try to gauge, you know, the. The, the table mm-hmm. I'll also include lines and veils oh, okay. but I always have the X card yeah and now I'll always have the uber X card yeah I think I yeah I feel like I'm just thinking about the open door policy again that's something that I really would have appreciated personally when I first started gaming um there were a couple of times well we also didn't have an X card <laughs> yeah but I feel like in sometimes in certain situations even if you have an X card so this depends on the table like I don't think I'm thinking back to some games and I don't think I would have been comfortable pushing that X card or putting my hand on it or saying I'm going to X that yeah cuz cuz you know that is in itself slightly confrontational yeah but like cuz you're telling somebody you don't like something they've done yeah getting up for you doesn't mean like it doesn't communicate to somebody that you're like i don't like you or i don't like what you've just said you getting up is like no i just need a break yeah and then just having that option would have made me feel so much safer than i felt at those times that that's like a really good point because i was about to say that like you know what like i don't use open door because i like script change because i pause Mm -hmm. so that means that everybody's always on the same page yeah but you know you make a really good point that like you know even touching that card you know is a sign that you know somebody's done something to you yeah and this is one thing that i've noticed about x carding sometimes is that there i personally had to get more comfortable with x carding i've I've never hit an x card before oh i have and there are some times when i should have yeah i've done that multiple times and the more i do the more comfortable i am with it yeah both when someone x cards me and also when i x card other people but i've noticed that sometimes um i think this is a very important thing to establish beforehand uh for a game as well when you explain the x card is that when someone's x carding something they're not a blo- obliged to they're not obligated to oh yeah Yeah. obligated to explain why and also don't make them feel like they have to say it's okay after because there because there were times when um a couple of times when i excited something and then someone was like hey so like i was doing this because i really wanted to make this kind of a character and so that's why i did it and then they don't have to justify it well the reason why they they told me that was because they wanted me to tell them okay i understand it's okay that it's okay that you did that even though i was the one who people people want that validation yeah that they aren't that they that they aren't bad or toxic yeah i mean in that situation i was like yeah that's fine like but also sometimes when people are x-carding they are it's already like it's it's already breaking a no like a social norm to be like I don't want you to say that. Yeah, calling right. somebody out on something. Yeah, so like they are already experiencing kind of st- some kind of stress. You shouldn't make them do. Um, you shouldn't make them do emotional labor for yeah. you to make not, you it, feel better. Yeah, because it's not every day when you can be like in public on the subway and be like, "Hey, like I know you're having a private conversation over there, but I don't want you to talk about that." Right. I mean, well, that's not really. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, like that's not the situation that we're talking about. No, but but I mean, like that's what makes the X card so powerful because it can contr- it it is only possible in in something like this. Yeah, that's true, and that's, al- that's what I mean. Yeah, or even like like in your normal conversation, you don't really say like, "Hey, like stop talking about this." <laughs> yeah, you, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, but. But it, you need to be close enough and comfortable enough to say that. But yeah. Anyway, in this situation, like it's, I, I think it's really good to explain w- when you talk about the X card. Like for example, if you're facilitating a game, to be like, also when you're X X carded, it's not a reflection on you. Yeah. And so, don't ask the other person to validate you as a person because this is just, it's just a tool. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I I think with that we. We leave you, the listener, with a lot of information. Like this, the first like forty minutes of this episode, you you might want to listen to twice. So we have the X card, lines and veils, the open door policy, script change, and the support flower. Those are the ones that we've talked about. But I want to ask you, because I mean, this this episode before we get into our conversation with Derek, this episode is learning through play part two. Mm-hmm. So like. What can you do with these with these safety tools? Because these safety tools, their effects don't just end at the gaming table. Right? No, they don't. No, they don't. Like, well, like how how do how do they affect you? Yeah, I mean, so for me personally, um, I I really appreciate them because I think it teaches people how to communicate their boundaries. So at first, it's just in games, right? And it's a game is a very um, constructed not constructed it's a very specific ritualized environment but learning how to do things in game also teaches you the skills that you can bring into your own life right like like you said daniel mm-hmm. um, with all of these students that you've had so and even myself yeah like, and I, so like i feel the like gm is allowed to learn too yeah oh 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. power to the gms but i feel like it's like i because I'm more comfortable communicating things that I I am not comfortable with in games, mm-hmm. I have now developed the skill and I am also more comfortable with communicating that just in my life, like with people around me. And I don't, I feel like I'm not as held back by by a feeling of awkwardness anymore because I'm just so used to it, even though it's a diff- in a different environment. So like sometimes in conversations when you know, someone says a little racist thing or whatever. And you can just be like, oh, like, like, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. It lets you, it lets you advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so important. Super important. Yes. Now I I do have, uh, before we get into the conversation with Derek, Mm -hmm. I have like really cool news. Oh, it just happened. Oh, thousand arrows just got funded on Kickstarter. Oh, nice. Yeah. Just got fully funded the exact amount. Yeah, nice. as as of the recording of this episode, um, Thousand Arrows, congratulations! It's uh, it's now Sunday, November twenty fifth, and it's been funded. Way to go, Mendez! Nice. Yeah. So, uh, please give it up for this really cool conversation we had with Derek Chan. But I mean, like your your art style—that like not your art style, but the art style that you like commissioned for Emperor Wind—is like it's got that anime flair to it. It's like yeah, it's like yeah, like the anime and Western fantasy mix. So it's not like straight up it's anime. Like Avatar: The Last Airbender. 
<laughs> is that how you would describe it? No, no, no. I, I, mean, that... I definitely would not. But... <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, I mean in that it's like a, a Western sort of style and like an Eastern style come together. Yeah, I guess so. That's what Avatar yeah. is. I mean, like uh, when I first kind of went to Crush, which is the studio that I got this art style done with, um, we were talking about wanting to do something that was different but still recognizable to people who play tabletops. So we ended up pulling in some reference material from like the typical stuff, like D&D and Pathfinder, right. and going, nah, this this isn't enough. And uh, we, we did a lot of experimenting, a lot of um, exploring discovery, really, to find something that was unique to us, and we wanted to yeah. make it feel a lot more multicultural. So we pulled in a lot more art influences and references from kind of eastern brands things like you may recognize like final fantasy and so forth definitely like final fantasy or like it kind of reminds me of like udon i don't know if you know that studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah like they did like the street fighter comics and stuff mm-hmm. it's got that like the, all those popping colors and everything i like it mm-hmm. yeah the other thing too like was um because of how we built the game where we didn't have the ability to tie it to specific worlds right Mm -hmm. from the get-go we had to make sure that everything in its own like the concept was strong enough for you to adhere to it to like it to find something there to appeal to you so because of that um like we needed to kind of give more personality more character and even more time to make that art the way it is I really like the art for the rogue oh thank you. you, you you've been using that one a lot in your marketing actually uh, it's been equal to the other ones. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I, I just like it that much. Maybe that's the one I've just been seeing a lot, or Instagram knows that I like that one. Yeah, maybe you just you just like rogues. I don't know. I, I do like rogues, but do you backstab your team a lot? No. True story. Hashtag true story. <laughs> I know. Whoa, whoa. Let me let me tell you. Like, I'm I'm making a new fizzle. Fizzle's like the character. So Agatha and I have these these this duo that we kind mm-hmm. of came called... up with. Well, okay, so you, yours is called Fizzle. I don't remember what Piffle. Piffle, yeah, that was my character, and together we are. We're 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 Piz. Piz. <laughs> <laughs> we're Piz, and uh, so we did it with our our first collaboration with the Broadswords, and I was like, I really like this character. It was a monk, but I was like, I'm gonna make a different character. You're not gonna so, be a monk. I'm not gonna be a monk. <laughs> I'm gonna be a halfling wizard. Okay, that, that's, that's my a, goal. Of course, pretty big change. I'm gonna do a halfling wizard from a monk, and I'm gonna try to do this luck build. Where I can just like change luck. That's gonna be my whole thing. He's like, he doesn't, he shouldn't be in battle or he shouldn't be outside of the library, but he just happens to be. I'm into it. That's what I'm gonna do. He's like, this, like, things just happen for him. That's my goal. (laughs) But like, I love the rogue for for Emberwind, like, so much. Cause I remember when we first, when I first met you, I don't know if you remember meeting me. But it was at Breakout Con, not this year, but last year. And somebody was like, yo, Daniel, I just met this Asian guy and he's got the coolest business card. And I was like, what? And they showed me the Nomnivore Games business card. And it's got like the, the little, it's like a dinosaur, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. It's got like the little dinosaur on it. And it was like holographic. Yep. And I was like, oh, damn. And so they were like, where is it? Like, I was like, where is this guy? And they're like, oh, no, he's just in that, in that like hallway to the, to the left of the gaming space. And I was like. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check it out. And I went out and I got your card and you demoed Emberwind for me. And I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is like tactical. This is different from D&D. But this is when you were just demoing Skies of Axia. And I didn't know you were doing like a core rule book with a sort of like a create your own character sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so I, that was actually this year. It's still 2018 right now. 
right? So, yep. Um, yeah, uh, and I'm really glad that you found me thanks to the business card. And I know that they're working, which is nice. Yeah, they're working. Oh yeah, because um, you know who who doesn't like shiny things? But I'm ex- but I'm expecting like a really like cute sort of chibi like game from you in the future now to go with your branding. Oh, yeah. um, well, this is a bit of a spoiler, but oh. like those. Oh, exclusive. Heard it here first. Oh. Yeah. So uh, those those little nomnosaurs actually get to partake in their own little game, and <gasps> that's in development right now in secret. Uh, which we don't know what the estimated delivery time yet is because we're all hands on deck with Emberwind, but yeah. it will exist at some point. And you're going to have a really, really cute, fun little party adventure. Yes. That is amazing. I want to play a cute chibi dinosaur. So is that why you've been teasing all the different Nomnosaurs? Uh, yeah. Or that, just like for fun? <laughs> I mean, that and it's um, it's been like an access point for some people. Like yeah. uh, Emberwind's rules aren't so complicated that kids can't get into it but when kids come by they're like oh you know these things are cool but i identify with like this blue dinosaur a lot more so we'll yeah. end up having little nomnosaur parties as they play through the game and stuff because yeah, you have the little like stuffed nomnosaurs those yarn those the crocheted mm-hmm. nomnosaurs because they're super cool i always look at them I'm like i want to buy one <laughs> <laughs> well um i mean like they are all handmade so like, yeah custom design whatever you want we can in fact make like a little daniel one if you want Oh my god! I will, I will, I will pay too much money for that. <laughs> but I would. And sp- speaking of money, I, I have like a, a really, I have a, I have a confession to make that I never shared. So, heard it here first. You heard it here first. So not as interesting of an exclusive as a Nomnosaur game coming out in the some far distant future. I, <laughs> I've never done this for a Kickstarter before, but I set an alarm to wake up early to back Emberwind. Wow. I set an alarm. That's so flattering. <laughs> I set an alarm because I was like, because I was talking to you like the night before because we, we, we were talking uh, at like 1 a.m. and you were like, you were like, I'm really nervous. Blah, blah. I was like, I can't wait. And in my mind, I was like, I want to be one of the first people to back it because I, I really want this project to happen. And so I like set an alarm and I woke up and I was like, time to back it. And I just hopped on my computer and then backed it. And I was like, okay, now I'm going back to bed. And I went back to bed. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you so much for that because, um, it's because uh, of efforts like that that really gave us the initial push that helped kind of snowball it into what it's been so far. Yeah, and I mean, as of recording, twenty nine thousand five hundred and seventy nine Canadian dollars. Ooh. Wow, that's maybe like three cents American. But yeah, it's yeah. Like three cents American. I always <laughs> say like, oh yes, twenty five thousand polar dollars versus the gold dollar that they have in the states because our money is basically ice and just melts. Oh, sad. It's yeah. true though. It's so sad. It's so sad when you when you go to like an American con. It's just like, oh my god. Yeah, everything you're like, everything is thirty percent more expensive than what it's listed at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went down and I was at Gen Con. I was like, okay, if I'm gonna buy this, it's like, oh, it's only five dollars. Wait, and that's not only five dollars. That's like eight to ten dollars. <laughs> Let me rethink this. So, wait, when you were saying about the, the Nominosaurs party, is that with Emberwind? But you can just play as the... Or, oh, okay. Okay, oh, okay. Yeah. you don't have to say anything. You don't, you don't have to. I, I was a little bit puzzled. 
but we don't have to talk about it. Uh, I can say a little bit about that right now. <laughs> um, just I, I didn't realize that the nominus was going to be this interesting of, t- of a topic. Um, have you seen your logo? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. They're adorable. I mean, we'll get into Emberwin and why it's cool and everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, for, for now, um, so the Nominosaurs are actually going to be featured not in one game, but a couple. Oh. And it just depends on which one we want to push first. But um, the version of uh, kind of the Rise engine that Emberwind is running on right now isn't the simplest it can scale to. Okay. There is a children's version of the game that we're looking to release with the Nominosaurs as the main characters instead. Oh, Ooh. cool. Almost like a, like, a, like a No Thank You Evil sort yeah. of level Just like of... that. Cool. Have you played No Thank You, Thank you Evil? I, think? I haven't. Oh, we should do that. Yeah, we should. Along with our masks. The... <laughs> oh, yeah. Do, do you read or watch My Hero Academia? Of course. We yeah. want to do a masks but My Hero Academia. Oh, yep. please, please. Yeah, yeah. I want to do Someone's it so bad. I'm, I'm, st- I'm still reading it. Yeah. And I'm like, I thought I wasn't going to like it. And then, because I, cause I really hated Bakugo. <laughs> yeah, that's, he, that makes sense. Kind of sucks. He's like the he's like the Sasuke of this of this series. He, Except oh, instead of like moody and broody, he just yells every single line he says. Like that VA, I I just feel so bad for them. Oh, I know. I just I oh. like him more than Sasuke. Sasuke was annoying. I, mean, I, I hate them both because I just got. I mean, spoiler alert. Ooh, I just got past here first. No, I just <laughs> I just got past the part where he and um, Deku fight. On campus? Oh, I don't know. Which which time? Which time? Oh, when they like uh, after they get Deku gets his provisional license and Bakugo fails. Okay. Oh yeah. wow! I didn't I didn't get that far. Oh, okay. I don't like Deku. No, I, I don't like him either. I think every other character is far more interesting. I love. I was like, why are you so selfish? Like I was watching it with my sister and we were both like, son. <laughs> like every time he says anything, I'm like, okay, like but enough about you though. I mean, like the the good characters are like. Ida is a cool character. He like the, the fast guy, and like I like um, I like best genist. He's like one of the the, the pro heroes, oh. and he's the guy who has like that long neck with the collar made of denim. I, I oh. think you're just showing off too much of your Canadian here. That like jean jacket. I know. Oh know? god. I mean <laughs> jeans, jeans. Oh yeah. But he like his power, his quirk is that he controls fibers. Oh, that's oh, that's fun. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm super. I, I wasn't really into it first, and I I had tweeted a while back when I was at, like, chapter 50. And I was like, man, Bakugo really sucks. He just reminds me of Sasuke. I don't want to, like, put my time into this if it's just another Sasuke. And then uh, Rach from Tag was just like, no, 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 just 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 power through it. Power I was like, okay, I'll power the through it. The next 50 and, chapters. And now I'm on I'm on chapter 121. <laughs> and I just read a couple every day when I if I take the subway or if I'm on a break. I'm just going to... Read My Hero Academia. Yeah, about it. But yeah, that's what we're going to do in the future. Yeah. We're going to do a My Hero Academia actual play. Yeah, we should. I, I ran a Masks game already, like, and I said it was inspired by animes like My Hero Academia, even nice. though at that point I watched two episodes of it. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, this is a D&D campaign and you're killing giants, totally inspired by Attack on Titan. <laughs> <laughs> it, basically. <laughs> that's how I suckered people into that's my game. That's how you sucker people. And they'll be like, hey, wait, we're not like... We're not flying on the air through these wires. Yeah, what's pretty, going on? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or like, I can't be all might. Why? But, but like speaking speaking of like different games, like obviously like everybody knows you for Emberwind, and it's like super dope art. I think the gameplay is pretty innovative. I really like it. It's different, and I Thanks, like the way yeah. you market it at cons. You have this. You always have this sign. 
Oh no. Okay. Yeah, what's sure, the yeah. sign say? Because I don't. I do you know? I you do not know. About? I have not seen the sign. We we have like a little tongue in cheek joke. The sign that just quite literally reads, "We swear it's better than D and D." And it's in, it's in, it's, in, it's, in, it's in red. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> red colors and all that. Um, but like the D and D font is huge, and then the little "We swear" is almost like a, a caption oh, over it. Wow. But, yeah. yeah. So people see D and D, they're like, "Oh, what's this?" It's like it's better than D and D. It's like a multi-layered trap. You know, you got to get people interested first, then they walk in, and uh, then they see the the real spring there, and you're like, oh, I... Well, okay, okay. The reason why that signing is not not predatory. Yeah, it's not predatory at all. It's it's really fun. Um, No, I I like it. A fun trap. Because it it kind of... The way Emberwind is sort of structured, A, I like that it heavily involves maps. I really love that. Because... (laughs) I mean, I'll, guy. I'll, I'll show you guys my, <laughs> I'll show you guys my, I showed you my, my war chest. Oh yes. I'll show you my war chest after it's, it's my chest of like terrain and stuff sure, yeah. for D and D. But like, I love visual aids on the table because I think they're really good for, you know, working with like in, in gaming and therapy and gaming with children mm-hmm. because the visual aid is, is just another added layer of accessibility. Yeah, totally. Um, so the the reason why we poke fun at kind of D and D is because <laughs> yeah. it's the one that everyone recognizes. Like yeah. even people who don't know what tabletop games are have heard of what D and D is. Yeah. Um, and like most often, like the the die sets that you play with, they're not even referred to as polyhedral die; they're referred to as Dungeons and Dragons dice. So um, for us, uh, we kind of leaned into one of the best phenomenon on the internet, which is that uh, when you're asking for help, um, no one's ever going to answer you what you need to do is you need to make a wrong claim and let everyone everywhere correct you (laughs) (laughs) and uh, that's that's effectively what we end up doing with that sign where like it was effectively a a statement of challenge asking people swing by try this game out and to themselves see if they can prove that it's better or not just by playing through the game and uh, that's when we really kind of pick people uh, kind of up um, and, and that's what appeals to kind of the more veteran or experienced audiences yeah. whereas um, talking about maps and all that that really appeals to people who don't have any experience um, one of the things that we tried to do with Emberwind is make the game way more accessible to people who aren't part of the tabletop genre because um, I know for for myself I have a ton of friends who are interested in that type of thing but could never get into it because it was just like I, I don't want to read 300 pages of rules so screw that oh yeah yeah so um, we, we learned a lot from uh, kind of online games, board games, anything that could make the game a lot more um, digestible to people mm, who yeah. don't have that. Lower that barrier to entry. Yep. Without overly simplifying the gameplay, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, was really difficult to do. But I think I think we've achieved something kind of cool well, here. I mean, the game the gameplay for Emberwind is far more tactical than 5th edition. Way more tactical. but But not in a way where it's like off-putting and and what i like about it is that you have those different like you have like different di- almost like difficulty levels of sure, play yeah. like of simplicity or, or complexity but they all can be played at the same time like if you want a more simpler experience you can play that while somebody else at the table can play something a little bit more complicated and still share that that shared experience which i really like and when you explain that you explain that to me at fan expo this year and i was like oh when, we were, when you were showing me Skies of Axia. Yep. And I was like, that's really awesome. Because then I could introduce my, my girlfriend to it while, you know, having a, like another veteran gamer, you know, still be engaged with the narrative, but, you know, maybe at a higher mechanical level. Yep, totally. It's really cool. Yeah, that was 
probably the hardest part of the game design. Um, and kind of the secret to how we achieve that comes down to the fact that Emperor Wind is built laterally and modularly rather than the typical kind of vertical attention to detail type design that mm-hmm. you find in other tabletops like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, what do you I... mean by that? Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, okay, uh, sure. So, like in most games like D&D, they give you a world that's... Well, they give you a game that's specifically tied to a world. Like, you have to play as an elf to get your plus two decks. But um, more than that, um, to try and make the world more realistic, more believable, more immersive, they layer on more and more specific rules about how something has to play out. Mm. And you end up having the need of a GM there, not just to create the world, but to arbitrate through those rules to get something that fits your playing group. And all of the progression, all the designs in the game are built in this vertical way where every time, let's say, you level up, you're gaining new... uh, abilities sure but you're also gaining bigger numbers enemies are gaining more hp and so forth and it it just kind of increases (coughs) sorry about that that's okay that's okay don't worry uh increasing kind of the the amount of work or effort that's necessary to get into it which is why most people who start playing DD start from let's say a level one game um because it's the least complicated version of the game that's available Emberwind, on the other hand, um, breaks that down where instead of kind of making everything, uh, if if we use kind of the analogy where like to get to 10, um, D&D goes 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1, um, Emberwind does so uh, exponentially mm-hmm. to get to that same point where mm-hmm. um, each layer adds more material to your game, but it's up to you how many layers you want to add in. So if you are someone who's new to the game, you can still have a sense of progression, level up and so forth, but you're only playing with the core mechanics rather than any of the additional layers. Um, so you end up kind of with as much of an onion as you feel like as a gamer. And it works regardless of how many layers there are. Yeah. Um, so far, more or less. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that just, that's just my personal unbiased opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one of the other things too. Like this is a completely different way of making games. And we recognize as a company that there are going to be a lot of challenges that we're going to face and also mistakes that we'll make along the way, which is why the company philosophy itself is built in. uh, Well, it's got the the fact that we're going to be making these mistakes built into it. We're going to be doing our best efforts, but we want to make sure that everyone who uh, trusts in us, who tries Ember and so forth, is guaranteed the best possible experience, which is why we're always looking to refine and revise it. Yeah. And to do that type of design, we've also had to push past kind of the age-old here's a printed book that'll last you seven years until we release a new edition because it's just not dexterous enough anymore to yep. really keep up with what people want. So instead, we have this kind of living development cycle where games get revised constantly. We keep fixing things every single week or adding new content. It's like a patch. Yeah, it, it's very similar to like an online game that's just constantly putting out new content and you can add as much of it as you want to to the game. And sometimes what we add might not work or be broken from the start and we'll need to fix it. And that's where, you know, we're going to need your patience if uh, you're a fan. But hopefully there's going to be enough goodwill that we foster along the way to make that happen. So is this like similar to D&D's Unearth Arcana? Um, in what regard? Like you're, you're putting out new content every now and then you're like a new class or something like that. Or are you, are you talking about new mechanics? Both? Both? Yeah. Cool. And how will that reach the your intended audience or like the consumer? Well, that depends on what you mean by intended audience. Like most games have a specific audience. Like and... like people who own the game. So yeah. if people own Emberwind, like they like like me and they kickstarted it. They get their core core rule book. And how does this new content reach them? 
Oh, okay. So we want to be extremely respectful of everyone's dollar that they put in. So not only do you get a printed copy of any book that you purchase, you also get a PDF copy. And we yeah. update the PDF all the freaking time. And um, every so often what we want to do is offer the opportunity to get the kind of updated errata versions yeah. uh, printed at like a cheap value so that no one's overpaying for something they've already paid for right um yeah because like I, I really don't like it when games are like well you know here's a here's an unfinished product and now we're going to charge you for an enhanced edition which is really just the finished game you should have gotten in the first place Ooh, like fallout 76 which oh. just came <laughs> oh don't don't even battlefield that five so hard Did you buy it no no yeah i was like no. I'm, I'm not gonna buy that i've been like this might polarize some stuff but i've been disappointed in bethesda for like at least a decade Ooh. yeah what was the last bethesda game you liked um morrowind oh, morrowind was really good yeah. Morrowind was really good i loved oblivion and i loved fallout 3 yeah they were that, great and that's kind of where it ended for me fallout 4 was a giant disappointment and I think Skyrim's super overrated. I agree. Like, Oblivion with all the modded content was better than what Skyrim was at release, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah easily. And Oblivion had a better story than Skyrim as well. Totally. Did you ever play any of those? I, I've been playing Oblivion, and then I actually just started playing Fallout 4. Um, <laughs> don't, don't bias. I'm enjoying myself. I I don't like I haven't played a lot of the earlier games though, so I think I'm going into it with not a lot of expectations necessarily and hearing a lot of like this kind of what people are saying, like, oh, I'm disappointed with Fallout 4. So I kind of like, I think my expectations are already tempered almost. Yeah. So I, I'm enjoying it for what it is. I just didn't like the, fa- I found none of the factions in Fallout 4 interesting. Yeah, they're pre- they're, they are pretty boring. None of them are interesting. And I put so much time into reinforcing my settlement and I never got attacked. <laughs> I hate And I was like, why is everything so peaceful? And I it, hate it sucks so much. But so, so you want to, so you're going to kind of do the, the drive through RPG thing well that what they do is like if you update a pdf and somebody's already bought it on drive through they get a notification meaning that tells them they can just re-download the updated one so you're kind of doing something similar to that uh, yep but we take it further not only do you get the updated pdfs and you can buy the the updated physical copy if people want that yeah. um the, the one challenge we haven't figured out there yet uh though i'll actually get into that later i should finish my first point yeah go for yeah. it yeah um is uh, that we're actually not only giving you the kind of PDF at whatever state that it's in as we update it. If you have access to any of our products, you automatically get enlisted in all of our betas where you get to try everything before we even release the first edition. That way we can take feedback in and bring it to a point where like the community who's been involved in it have a say and have their thoughts represented and that we've done our best to make sure that everything is to a satisfactory level before we even launch the first print. Nice. So it's like you're, you're not just making changes blindly. No, no. Yeah. Like, you're trying to actually build a community around this game rather than put out a game and be like okay off to the next one it's it's actually a little better than that um we haven't uh gotten to the stage yet because it's down the road but the legal work's been done already where the community isn't just involved in our testing the community can actually generate their own content we have a dev kit that we'll be handing out and giving to people for free where you can make your own creatures your own worlds whatever you want and all that content is going to be hosted on our forums and the most popular of it will actually go into our web store where every time it moves or sells um you're going to be rewarded as the developer and creator of 
of that rather than us as a company. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I remember you telling me that at Fan Expo. Yeah. It, it gets... It's, it's, it's different. It's nice. I, I like it. I mean, like, the at the end of the day, Emberwind isn't just a game. That's not what I'm hoping to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's a experience that's supposed to support kind of the people who enjoy this type of thing and usually the people who play tabletop rpgs are extremely creative people who Mm -hmm. end up doing their own stuff anyways but rather than do and this is why i I constantly say that this isn't just like your standard um open game license game like DD or pathfinder is people can monetize through you guys we're we're hoping that to give you the ability to monetize and also to provide you with a lot more support than just you know here are all the rule sets go away and figure this out on your own mm-hmm. um at some point we're hoping to open up like a discord server where we do workshops and how you do this type of stuff on yeah. a regular basis and also we're hoping to connect uh different types of creatives and talent together so that if you're for example a fantastic artist uh but you want to work together with someone who can write an actual story we'll see if we can figure out a way where this is all like super hopeful but we're, we're hoping to get um, people connected up so that you guys can do that and create a good consolidated product together rather than just everyone feeling like abandoned alone during the whole creative experience i actually know somebody who might be able to help you with that fantastic let's, yeah uh, let's and they're in, in toronto oh great yeah so so on curiosity and focus uh i got approached by um like these publishers for toronto comics wow. and so they do the toronto comics anthology and they kickstart every single volume of it and what they do is they have people pitch them stories and they pair writers up with artists that's Ooh. part of their process and so i mean that's exactly what you just wanted to do that's what you said yeah so like i can i can put you in touch with those people if you if you want to talk to them yeah sure they're based in toronto and, to... they're, and they're super cool Yep, I'm always happy to take a look and talk about all these different things because the more we can get off the ground, the better the final services that we can offer to everyone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you've been working at this for a while. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you've, been working at, you, you've been working at Emberwind for how long has it been? Are you asking like officially or unofficially? I mean, both? Um, officially, Emberwind was under about a year of development before we released it mm-hmm. in March last year. Or no, no, this year. Man, it's it's so close to the end of the year, I keep screwing that up. Yeah, <laughs> so um, everyone's been really around for about a year and a half or so right now. Right. Um, but like the base engine that Emberwind runs on, the world of Axia, all that, I've been working on for over a decade now. Nice. Wow. I, I guess so. You I guys mean, you guys say nice. I mean, it shows. I mean, it's a, it's polished. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I think that's cool. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are so many people out there who are, you know, working on these fantasy worlds, writing fantasy stories, or developing their own game mechanics. Who who are just like, well, what do I do with this? Will you turn this long term project into a product? Sort of. Um, I feel like saying that I did that is demeaning to the rest of my team. True. Um, Amberwind could have like never reached the state that it's in now or the level of polish that you see it in if it wasn't for everyone else who contributed to it, mm-hmm. which is why like whenever anyone looks at this and tells me, you know, this is fantastic. You did a great job. I'm always a little hesitant to take the compliment. Yeah. Um, because I don't see it that way. I, I don't see it as a finished product. I don't see it as have achieved the, kind of this perfect status uh, that I want it to get to. And it's also something that I'm never going to get there on my own. That's uh, a large part of why kind of the development that we do as kind of the Nomnosaur team yeah. um, is the same as the 
uh, type of thinking and heart and extension to the community where we want everyone to be able to be involved in the creative process because mm-hmm. it's through kind of working together that we're going to achieve a much better final product than if, let's say, I just directed everything on my own at the end. True. You, you have you have multiple voices in there. You make sure that you don't you know take any of your internalized bias or you know the way you see things and communicate them better if you have multiple people working on the project. Oh yeah, it's a huge challenge with the uh, with the amount of um, time we have to spend on discovering kind of where we want to go, what we want to do with different things. But um, for more or for more than yeah, more often than not, I guess um, we've been able to achieve that really well. I think, right. and uh, you're right, and that it helps us avoid a lot of bias. One of the things that we really wanted to do with Everyone was introduce a way where we were very respectful of veterans and things that people know from the genre, while also um, allowing kind of new blends of ideas, thoughts, way to play, cultures, inspirations to kind of bleed into this. So, Daniel, yeah. you, you were saying earlier that you really like the rogue in our game. Yeah. Um, and... We, we took kind of the rogue archetype and trope that you see in games like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, mm-hmm. the guy who likes to steal stuff, backstab you, sneaky, that type of stuff. But we did a completely different spin on it where we still achieve kind of those tropes, but gave it a much more grounded cultural basis in kind of um, Persian history. Oh, that's dope. And, and, and I mean, I, I guess that's where the look comes from too, like visually as well. Yep. Everything down to even the like weapons that our version of the rogue carries has that connotation. For example, the um, punching daggers that he mm, wields. The guitar. The guitar, yeah. Um, they don't leave very much room for someone to block with or anything. So it's completely reliant on your reflexes to dodge out of the way. And it's always about these immediate surges where you're finding ways to get and close distances to strike home and take out the person you're fighting, which has like a very roguish feel to it right. without just saying, oh, you know, I'm another dagger wielder. Yeah, so so the culture informs the actual gameplay. Uh, yeah, or at least the inspiration behind well, it. You yeah. can still do whatever you want. Yeah, 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 of course. I actually got the opportunity to hold uh, a, a, a real, like, Qatar, like a punching dagger, but they have these ones at the museums, and they're, like, super impractical, but they open up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I got to hold one. It was like, kind of like Soul Calibur style? Like, like Vol- Voldo. Yeah. That guy's so weird. So creepy. It, he's a character in Soul Calibur, and he's like this like mummy guy, and he walks like... The audience obviously can't see what I'm doing, but I'm like well, writhing around in my chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take my word for it. Daniel looks hilarious. I look I look really weird. <laughs> so is it like Wolverine hands, but... Well, in... they, they like, they're like... Um, so you hold them between your fingers, and then yeah. this is long, like triangular blade yeah but there's a trigger on these ones and they open up and so there's like blades and then another one in the middle so it's almost like a flower (laughs) and they're long too they're not not practical at all they look like more for show than anything okay but that's super cool and like one of the other things that we we talked about which is i mean just another added reason as to why you know I personally wanted to interview you for this. And I was like, Agatha, Agatha, Derek's so cool. I want to have him on the show. You're like, we were already going to do that. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, But when we were talking at Fan Expo, you said that you have a background in therapy. Uh, Yep. And just to be specific, psychotherapy. Psychotherapy, correct. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like really cool. And, you know, we were talking about like level up gaming. and, And then you kind of mentioned that, you took some of your experiences working in psychotherapy and you kind of lightly put them into the game. Um, Unless I like misheard that. 
Well, the only part that you misheard is the light part. Okay. It's, yeah. Heavily? It's heavily in uh, in Emberwind, though it's not immediately apparent. Okay. Um, Emberwind, first and foremost, is a game. So we wanted to focus on making sure that it's a really, really, really fun game, and that's all there is to it. But the thoughtfulness behind some of the designs, what makes Emberwind so fun and so unique is, um, well, the basis from that actually comes from psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to like name drop that specific type of no, therapy cool. I do right Please now. Do, and yeah. people Please have, do. People have no freaking idea what it is. But, but they can look it up. Yes, sort of, maybe. Google is a it's, thing. It's pretty rare. So like, I'm not even sure if Google will do a very good job of this, but um, I uh, am trained in and kind of my academic learning and all that is in uh, existential phenomenological psychotherapy. Oh my. That is a mouthful. Yeah, that's it's very a niche. a complete mouthful. Um, and kind of breaking that down to layman's terms. Can't type that with one hand. I know, existential. <laughs> Phenomenological yep. therapy. Yeah. Thank you. Um, to break it down to layman's terms, all, all that really means is uh, what is the meaning to your life? Who are you as a person? And how does that subjective experience relate to everything else? Mm-hmm. Right? So um, it, it's not... Uh, I guess it's not news anymore now that there are a lot of, for example, um, therapists or like school counselors and so forth that do therapy work with kids with uh, D&D. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty regular occurrence now because it's a interesting, safe environment where you can role play. You can try things out in a much more fun context. And from that, there are experiences that the kids can learn from that have actual consequences that matter to them, which end up, uh, you know, teaching kids better lessons than they could experience just using standard talk therapy, for example. Yeah. Wow. I mean, in RPGs, there are like, there are rules of social rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, You have objectives and it's all moderated. Exactly. It's very much like therapy. Yeah. The the problem, though, with um, D&D and other games uh, is that they haven't been designed with kind of that thoughtfulness in mind. That's not to say that Emberwind is going to execute this perfectly, because at the end of the day, Emberwind is ultimately a game, but it is structured in a way where it answers a lot of those immediate questions that I presented that are related to kind of existential phenological therapy, which is, you know, who are you? Right. What, mm-hmm. Who is your character? That's the first RPG question. Yep. How yeah. are you going to interact and relate to the other members in your party and what you're doing in this particular world? And how is it all going to ultimately determine kind of the meaning of your actions, of who you are and so forth? So right? how do you achieve this with the, uh, mechanics? <clears throat> um, so there is a restructure i guess of how the game works or at least an explicit statement of particular things that are assumed but aren't really talked about in other tabletop rpgs for example um the entire point of emberwind and why we use the word epic so much when we just yeah isn't about um kind of oh man that's epic or like (laughs) yeah you know uh my hero is is epic and so forth it's specifically from the uh, term epic in relation to storytelling Mm -hmm. it's about this grand journey where it is a rise up of a particular hero in this case yours and um like in the joseph campbell sort of sense yeah and and kind of like you know great myths and so forth that like the heroic journey Mm -hmm. and and all that that's cool yeah so um for you to achieve 
an epic. It has to be a grand tale of some hero who rises up against some sort of challenge, who overcomes those challenges, and typically does so in the setting of working together with other heroes. And um, more than that, uh, understanding that like the hero themselves are only as great as the things that they've triumphed over. So Amberwind is built in a way where it's explicitly stated like to the storyteller you're playing with one that you're playing with your players to generate the best epic you can not where you're trying to crush and destroy them Mm -hmm. yeah and same thing with the players where we we ask them to do a little bit more in the way of supporting kind of the grand tale or story that your storytellers come up with rather than just say oh you know three people in my group want to go along with this adventure i'm just going to sit at the bar and keep drinking yeah see you you have no agency in that story or you have no interest in it yeah Mm-hmm. So there's that. And um, what we tried to do is we've not only tried to make that kind of the most apparent kind of goal for the game, but we've also tried to make it much more accessible to everyone so that you can find ways to be creative at every turn at whatever your skill level is so that you can create your own meaning from the story rather than just get it handed to you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's super cool. That is very interesting. Cool. So then how how can it be used? I mean, I'm not saying that ish. <clears throat> I, I would just. So my question is, how how can it be used like therapeutically? Then, um, I mean, it's like informal therapy almost. It yeah, depends on like what your goal of psychotherapy is. Mm. Um, for example, like if this is about finding someone who has like a serious diagnosable mental disorder, um, chances are like this isn't the way to go with that. Right. But what this is providing is, in my opinion. Um, not therapy, but something much more important than that. This this is more so like a personal belief of mine, but I find that in uh, in modern day, we've really kind of specialized and found ways to become way more lonely. Uh, we we have all these different ways that help bring us together so much more than we did before. You know, the internet, social media, and so forth. But all of those things have somehow given us these bubbles where you can pick and choose who we in, let in, who we interact with, and so forth. And um, the worst part of it all actually is the therapy profession, in my opinion, uh, because like one of the most common things I saw a lot in psychotherapy were people just complaining about like loneliness and uh, just being sad and, and people have almost forgotten in kind of their education of psychotherapy, uh, psychotherapeutic terms. Um, and like maybe all, all of the popular media and, and TV shows where like literally everything is a diagnosable disorder. Like, oh, you know, I'm depressed. That's a common thing everyone says. But depression is very specifically... Very specific. ...a disorder. Mm-hmm. Being sad isn't the same thing as being depressed. And people don't recognize that. Right. So, like, if, you know, let's say, Daniel, you come see me for therapy one day, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, your your mom died. That's that's grief. That's right? grief, yeah. That's that's not depression. Mm-hmm. But are, why are you coming to me as a therapist to talk about it than really talking to your friends and family? Yeah. Right? But the in, in society nowadays, at least North American society, there's a huge push to say, oh, you're feeling bad. Well, you should go seek out professional help. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Emberwin is trying to avoid. In a certain sense, what Emberwin is trying to do is it's trying to break down um, that kind of isolation, that loneliness where we've effectively told everyone that the opposite of kind of your 
your bad feelings and so forth is therapy because uh, it's not. Uh, and, and we've moved it back to the idea that the opposite of all the things that you're, you're feeling that that's bad, that you don't like and so forth, it's actually community and connection. Mm. And everyone is a way to bring people together to experience those things in a joyful, meaningful way. Okay. So it's, it, it facilitates connection. So it's yeah. in this collective storytelling that is, is that what you mean? Well, like it's, the process of sitting down at the table, yeah. exchanging words with other people, telling stories together. It's it's more than just that, too. For example, um, like there are as many ways to find meaning in life as there are uh, ways to, you know, interact with anyone else out there. And that could be as simple as you sitting down around a table, playing a game with people, and everyone allows for that, but also allows for you to reach out and touch other people in different ways too. Let's say you're, you know, a shy type of person, but you're also very creative and you really want a chance to tell some stories and share it with people out there. Right. Right. So, um, with the game, hopefully there's enough material there that inspires you to try and create your own thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. So it, it, Emberwind is almost like an opportunity for people to engage in this community. Exactly. Hmm. And that's also why um, we've included like a single player mode for the game, because while that seems counterintuitive because you're trying to get people together to play, being able to experience something on your own will still give you the opportunity to talk about those experiences with someone else who has. So if you really don't have anyone to play with, although we try and circumvent that as much as we can with like our online versions and so forth, um, there are still ways for you to kind of get involved with the community that we're hoping to build number Yeah, I mean, it's like a video game. You're like, oh, I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 right now. And I'm talking to my friends. And I'm like, oh, did did you do this and, and when you were playing Red Dead? And that's the exact same thing that you're talking yeah. about here with everyone. Because it's never like, oh, when you were playing this D&D module, did you do this thing? No, because my, my friends haven't gotten there yet. And I'm waiting for my friends to get started in this game when you can just do it on your own. There's there's actually a little secret thing that we've been working on too. Oh yeah. Uh it's again far down the road cuz it comes down to funding for this one, but um the way we've structured and built our campaign books is actually uh one what that will codify and figure out your choices and help you find people to play with if you don't have anyone to play with too. The decisions that we've written into the campaigns, all the crossroads, are ones with heavy moral and ethical weight because we've tried mm. to make everything feel significant. It's like a, a very powerful choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but based on those things, as you kind of make decisions over time, and this is where you know statistical training is coming in, you'll end up with an average that kind of sort of does a, a loose profiling job of who you are as a player or as a person. And if we get this right when we launch our own online platform rather than have everything supported through Roll20, mm-hmm. if you enable this option, it will track that data and it'll figure out the choices you make how you play, what personality you have as a player, wow. and funnel you into groups or suggest people you can play with who play like you, so you end up with new friends. So you just made a, a gaming Myers Briggs test, uh, in a sense, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I love getting profile. <laughs> yeah, and taking those quizzes. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just okay. Trying. So long as at the very Daniel end of the day, I didn't eyes. judge you, Agatha. I would never judge you. Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's okay. I judged you. Okay. But thanks. As well. <laughs> you're welcome. I, you said, I, you, you were like, I love being profiled. And I was like, does Agatha just do a lot of BuzzFeed quizzes? Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I th- and you can't judge me for that. No, I'm not, I'm not. We should just do an episode where we just do BuzzFeed quizzes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all guilty of doing like the Facebook quiz to find out more about ourselves. Oh, yeah. But for when I do those things, I'm always like, which Game of Thrones character am I? I better be this person. And, and I'm not, I'm like, I'm like, God damn it. I'm not this person. And I'm disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. But that's cool that you're doing it for gaming to try to get people together. Because, I mean, one of the biggest, well, one of the biggest challenges with like playing within a community is finding the right people to play with. Mm-hmm. And, and often for a, a lot of people, that's a, a risk they really don't want to take. Like that's scary. That can be scary yeah. for some people. Like just going out and going to like an adventurous league game, and yeah. you know, ending up playing with some really toxic players. You're like, well, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, you right? never know what kind of people you're gonna engage with and if you vibe. So it's like online yeah. dating for finding a gaming group. Like it's kind of yeah. yeah. Oh, that that is not the analogy I want to think of. But um, <laughs> it's not that. It's not online dating. It's a personality quiz. Yeah, I mean, sort of. Like, at the end of the day, I don't want anyone to feel profiled, which is yeah. why, like, this system is one that I, like, it's it's like a suggested system to really help people who need it rather than something that we're enforcing on everyone because I don't right. want anyone to feel like they're trapped in a box. Yeah, you were, you were clear that it's, like, totally optional. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying profile because I love getting profiled. <laughs> I think you were also clear yeah. about that, too. <laughs> very, very clear. Like, um, I saw that the spike in the audio when you're like, I love being profiled. Okay, when I said that the second time, Derek judged me again. <laughs> I mean, I, I judge everyone all the time. Oh, okay. But is it, yeah, uh, it's, it's okay, though. Yeah. Uh, if anything, uh, I've never understood, like, anyone who says that they don't, like, judge people or, like, no judgment or anything like that. That that, does, does, that, that just means you have sense. no opinions of anything. Exactly. Like, you should care about people. And when you care about people, you're going to judge them. Yeah. Judgments can be good, bad, or whatever. Yeah, but they don't, they yeah. don't have to be bad, I guess. Exactly. I don't. I don't think i really agree with that okay (laughs) let's let's talk it out yeah i think i think you can have opinions but not necessarily judge but maybe this is just the like maybe it's just the way we define the word judgment yeah like i I think that's what's happening yeah Yeah. like my my next question was immediately just oh so you know define judgment but yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, because I'm I'm kind of on your side. It's like, yeah, you you can judge people on because ha- when when you say judgment, I think like having an opinion of somebody. Right. And this opinion need not be bad; right. it could be good. And like, if you don't have an opinion of anything, like, sure. And I also don't think like bad opinions are necessarily bad, bad. either. Yeah, if that makes of sense. Because like, if, if I look at someone and go, oh, why do I not like this person immediately? Like that is informative of not only them, but of myself too. Like maybe I'm not in a good mood. Maybe there's something in yeah. particular. And it's a basically a growing point. Yeah. yeah. So I think if it's, if you're judging people, but you're always taking that into a broader context. So like a sense for you to constantly engage with like what your values are or mm-hmm. how you see people in general, then I think that's a valuable thing. But judgment in and of itself, if just existing in a like, I'm just going to go around and like, I think this way because you just said that, but I don't reflect on it or anything. Oh yeah, of course. I don't think that's great. I think judgment's that's, also like, that's fair. Yeah. That's and completely your, fair. And your yeah. opinions of people are also fluid. They need not be fixed yeah. upon like your first impression. Yeah. Because there are, there are a lot of people that I didn't like after a first impression. And I was like, oh, but then I really like that person. 
I won't say who. <laughs> I like I'm, I'm pretty Derek. sure everyone is like wondering now. Yeah, yeah Derek me? and I were both waiting. We were like, it's not you two. So... It's not you two. I, <laughs> like, both, first, I like both guys. of you. Hey, I just, I, I remember our breakout this year when we first met. I, I bought you lunch or, or I bought you, I went out and got everybody dinner. Remember I yeah. had that dinner on? Yeah, you did. And we, and we just met. Wow. I, I think I was excluded from this. Oh. <laughs> well, well, I owe you dinner at BreakoutCon no. this year. Yeah, you did. That was very kind of you. I had a very good first impression of you <laughs> because of that. And I also saw you, and I was like, another Asian. Yeah, I was low key hype. I was, I was like, I saw you, and I saw Alex, and I was like, yes, yeah, yeah finally. There really people. aren't that many uh, in um, kind of tabletop gaming. Like, it's very much been especially RPGs. Yes, lots yeah. in board gaming. Oh. Oh, yeah. So many. So many in board gaming, but not so many in RPGs. That's I wonder if that's like a, a cultural thing. Maybe? I don't know. I feel yeah. like it's just like I mean, there's I, not I was, a lot of access points, right? And we were talking that's earlier, weird. like I was I was like born and raised in, in Toronto in like one of the whitest neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't know. I really love RPGs. But I, I kind of got into them by accident. Like, how did you get into RPGs? Um, I mean, like, I was born and raised in Toronto in one of the whitest neighborhoods. So <gasps> where? Um, well, I didn't. I didn't get to live in like a highbrow area like Daniel. I, it's not highbrow. Yeah, he's fancy. <laughs> I'm not yeah, fancy. You're, you're, you're okay. a fancy Asian. I'm a fan. Have you ever heard that thing? Fan- have you have you ever seen Ali Wong? Yes, yes, it's amazing. Fancy yeah. Asians and jungle Asians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pull it up for you after I get that. Oh Baby God. Cobra. Baby Cobra. Oh, Ali Wong's the best. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I I was born in Scarborough, then moved out to Oshawa for my early years, where I moved into like literally like a, a home that was falling apart in Richmond Hill with like hornet infested walls. Like it was the worst. Nice. Um, Damn. But, this is yeah. what Asians do. You buy like a, a house that's literally up. falling apart, and then you tear all the walls out. <laughs> yeah. We we unfortunately didn't get to the tearing down part until like years later. But yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, I, I kind of got into tabletop RPGs because I think it was around high school at the time where someone else was just walking around with D&D books and was like, hey, do you want to play? I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Do it. Yeah. Wow. So you were just like randomly solicited by someone from your high school to play D&D? Yeah, just about. I mean, Jeez. before that, um, like I, I spent a ton of time playing um, Magic, which I graduated to because, you know, everyone started with Pokemon cards, right? Yeah. So, okay, fair yeah. enough. Uh, I mean, even the art style of Emberwind kind of reminds me of Magic the Gathering, too. I mean, that that feel with the colors, especially the planeswalkers. Yes, um, that might be because that we've got some of the like artists from Magic. (laughs) I'm not a Magic nerd. I love Magic the Gathering. (laughs) I just I just don't want to throw all of my money at it. Yeah, it's basically the original loot box, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so accurate. It, it, It really is. Have you seen there's this new game that that just came out called Keyforge that everybody's talking about. And so they're like, we're like not doing Magic the Gathering. We're not going to, we're going to eliminate deck building. And so Fantasy Flight Games has designed this game where you buy a, a pre-constructed, randomly pre-constructed deck and all of them are supposed to be balanced. And these decks can't be modified at all. And you just play the game using these decks. Interesting. But it's like, it's still the same concept. You're still going to keep buying decks. Instead of buying packs, you're just going to be buying random decks. Yeah. Until you, you find the one you like. That's true. They should have a sign, a booth saying, magic. <laughs> magic. Better than. 
better there you than. Go. <laughs> maybe maybe I should go and like copyright that or something before it you starts should, rolling. You should find all the popular games better than Magic, and then you're gonna do a video game. You'd be like better than Overwatch. Better, oh. yeah. Wow. Oh, do all of it. I don't know if you can beat Overwatch. That's a really. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. So you you started. You got you got randomly solicited to play D and D, and that's what got you into it. I mean, sorta. I started playing D and D, and then um, quickly realized how much I didn't like it. Uh, which which edition of D and think it was third ed when I started. Okay. Um, Brown Player's Handbook. Yeah, yeah. yeah third edition. Uh, the one where like everything was super cool and super specific, and there's amazing draw into this world. But like a lot of the rule systems and everything just felt clunky. Okay. Um, and not only clunky, but like. Oh my god, like the first time someone decided, hey, I want to make a grapple fighter. We were trying to figure out how to do that. Oh yeah, you have to like go through all the yeah. books. <laughs> yeah, it was it was miserable. But like it was it was a really fun experience. Yeah, and that's what I really like. Grappling? Oh. No, not grappling. <laughs> oh wow. I only play Tell characters that grapple. No, I one of my favorite things about third edition was like pouring through those books and just trying to make different characters. I had like yeah. I would just sit at home. <laughs> I would just sit at home and be like, okay, I'm going to make the best sword fighter I could ever make. And I would just like try to build them and be like, okay, I'm never going to play this character. Let's make a different one. And I would just sit there and make characters. That's fair. There is a joy in that. But I would put like backstories behind them and all that to to kind of figure out how they would work narratively. But that's what I really liked. But I know that a lot of people didn't like that. Well, actually, I was pretty much the same way. And that's why I didn't like D&D. Oh. Yeah. Like, um, so what, what, what got me into it you didn't like? Interesting. Yeah, it was the most enjoyable part. I'll definitely say that. Because, um, like, the reason why I fell in love with tabletop games uh, and, you know, specifically D&D was the potential there was to that game. Like, right. The imagination, the ability to come up with all these different cool concepts and so forth, all these characters that I could have been. Um, and some of that uh, came down to like just me being one of the little jerks who liked a power game coming from you know <laughs> yep. magic, trying to build the best fossil deck to beat everyone. Yep. But um, at, at the end of the day, like that's where I felt found the most appeal. Where I disliked or started to dislike kind of D and D came down to the fact that I couldn't execute that no matter how much I wanted to. Oh, I see. Right? The rules got in the way of me being able to do what I wanted rather than supported it. And that's when I kind of fell out of love with it and started working on uh, little homebrews or hacks to try and fix these things. And that actually became the foundation of what the Rise Engine is for Amberwind. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't Actually, I don't think I've ever played an RPG and used all of the rules. I've always modified them in some way. Right? Everyone I've always modified yeah. them in some way. That's such a trad gamer thing where you're like, <laughs> I, love games. I love games, but I'm just going to throw away these rules. Well, I mean, just like because a lot of indie games, they just don't have that many rules. And they're very like, I'm only here to do one thing. And then, yeah. so then there's, I mean, you could mod them, but it's not as... I, do that, I, I do that for D&D a lot because yeah. I think 5th edition really fails in, in certain certain parts. Okay. Oh, wow. A lot of people are, will like have your head for that. I, really I, well, I don't, think it's, I, I, I don't think it's bad. Like, I love playing 5th edition. I'm like, I play it, I play like six hours of 5th edition a week. Wow. That like, mind you, it's for work. Oh, yeah, sure. Work. Work. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I play like six hours of 5th edition a week and, you know, I'm really deep into it and I'll, I'll buy the 5th edition books and like I really enjoy it. Like last night, I sat there and I and I bindered all of my spell cards. I was like, oh, alphabetical order. 
wow. by spell level. Wow. That is that is a whole different level. A whole different level of like nerd. But by the way, but, I, but like there are there are parts of it that I I find a bit of every single RPG that I really like and I, I bring them into the games I'm playing. Like, for instance, like, I love 3.5, I love 3.0, and I love Pathfinder. And Pathfinder has really cool rules for discovery and, like, exploring maps. Mm-hmm. And so I like to bring those into 5th edition if I'm doing a campaign based around that. I love um, the that the one particular move in Dungeon World, Undertake a Perilous Journey. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one because it makes travel between two locations in Dungeons & Dragons a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. A lot more interesting because it's just like you go from here to here and I guess I'll make an encounter, but the players have no agency in that. Yeah. But Undertaking a Perilous Journey, you know, gives them a little bit more agency over or at least owning the outcome of this journey. And then what I do is like I get players to write like... uh, they each get to write a bane and a boon about travel, like things they want to happen and things they really don't want to happen, and we put them in a bowl. And then when they when they undertake a perilous journey and something happens, I'll like pull it from the bowl. Nice. Like, yeah. But like those aren't in the rules. But like these these are just things that you know we as GMs do to suit the needs of the players and maybe our, and ourselves as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which and is, you just took it to the next level, and you just made your own system. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, yeah, but no, that's cool. It's a system that actually reflects those types of thoughts. Yeah. Right. Where it is a modularized engine, where you can build things and customize it the way that you would want them to. Where if let's say you're a GM who's just starting out, and you like recognize, man, this this one particular thing I'm doing here, like the base game, just isn't doing it for my group. But I don't know what to do. Um, everyone kind of gives you that option right from the get go, and we give you like a all these different settings you can play on yeah um but yeah like that's that's the other reason why we're hoping to involve community and get other people the ability to make or make whatever they want for the game because we're never going to be able to create everything perfectly yeah uh, like yeah. How, how does that what if ember like i would like i love the art of ember wind like i'm a big sucker for art mm-hmm. if an rpg doesn't have good art i'm probably not going to look at it like you said that's what brings people like to even pick up the book at oh, yeah. the booth or at the bookshop. And, like, if it doesn't have good art, I'm probably not going to pick it up. And so, like, when, I, when I'm when i thinking about, like, running a game, it's just like, okay, do I want to read this book in the first place? Is it beautiful enough for me to want to read? Because I'm, like, I'm a really visual person. Yeah. And, like, I have, admittedly, a very short attention span. I've been working on reading that book for forever. It's a very thick book. Yes. Um, Daniel's pointing to Zweihander? Zweihander. Zweihander. I've like read through like 90% of it and I'm like working my way through it. And I, and I love it. I love it. Um, but, it, you know, a game really has to pull me in. So you've kind of created this really awesome game engine world and you're working on building, ultimately building this community of creators. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Do you mind if I steal that line somewhere? Yeah, take it. You can take it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I yeah, know. Totally. That's all. That's all yours. Yeah, we, we've got that on recording now. You can't yeah, take that back. Yeah, I can't take that back unless I delete all of the audio. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, Emberwind is still on Kickstarter, and there are a ton of stretch goals mm-hmm. to to be met. Um, and I'm just really, really happy that I got that it got funded in six days. Yeah, I was, 105% in six days. I was thrilled. I think we're at like 115 now. So like it hasn't super slowed down minus like the little dip from Black Friday. But other <laughs> yeah. than that, yeah. 
That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I am, I had no idea it was going to kind of succeed this quickly, if that makes sense. So at the same time, like, I, I'm a little hesitant on saying succeed because it's like really getting to the, the starting line, it feels like right now. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you have big ambitions. You've got all these things coming out in, in the future. And I'm thinking of like all the fan content that's going to come out. I would love to play like Emberwind, but in like a gothic world. Yeah. Right. Oh, or, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. You, you, yeah. Shifty eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, this like sort of because it's an it's an action economy that you're playing with that in a military setting. I would love to do that too. Yeah. It feels a little like uh, Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah. 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 And Valkyria Chronicles Four just came out. I think. Yep. Poorly or, advertised, or, but poorly yeah. advertised. But have you ever played Valkyria Chronicles? I, I guess it's like a alternate world war ii mm-hmm. game and but it's like turn-based but also real-time third-person shooter it's really cool like jrpg it's, it's like one of the most unique games out there hmm. yeah, yeah like they, i mean the valkyria chronicles 3 <coughs> is really good and it was for ps3 and then they remade it for ps4 and then valkyria chronicles 4 came out for like i think they're on steam now too they and they're on steam, steam. yeah they and they are on steam yeah. that's right and pc and is four on Steam? I uh, I don't know. I, I haven't had a chance to take a look yet, honestly. Oh no, yeah. I haven't touched Steam yet because I'm afraid of the Black Friday sales. True. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I'm real scared. Real scared. I'm gonna go on Steam tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if people wanna, you know, learn more about you, support Emberwind, obviously on Kickstarter, or you know, get in touch with you, ask you questions. Oh, there was a question for you actually on Twitter. There were a couple. Yeah. I think. One was a troll question from a friend, but was it? Uh I mean the one maybe? about the hound master? No, no, that that one is that one's fair. Okay, what 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 was that? Oh no. Oh no, my Twitter. I have to find it. It was a question is if is there gonna be like a hound master? Uh I mean, you don't need to search that up. I remember that. Oh okay, I can, cool. I can answer that one. Um but for the the Howmaster, yes and no is the best way to put it. And that's usually going to be my answer for everything. Um, <laughs> well, because it's such a – it lets you do as much as you, you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to say specifically there will not be a Houndmaster. But that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a pet class in the future, which will let you play around with these types of things. I can't say too much more, but we do have a Sumner class that we'd like to launch at some point. Cool. Cool. I hope it's better than the Pathfinder Summoner. <laughs> Super broken. It, uh, I think we've made it work in a way because the stronger your summon gets, the less action economy you have as a player. So there's a the bit balance of a there. balance there. Yeah. Nice. So, so, so but back to what I was saying, if people want to get in touch with you online, if they want to support, you know, Emberwind on Kickstarter and support your future endeavors with your system and with this world of Axia and the fan created stuff, where can they find you online? I mean, right now, the easiest place to find us is uh, at the Kickstarter page because I'm like live there every day answering a million things. But um, the link to that would be uh, slash Kickstarter. Uh, but if you're looking for gen- kind of more general information about the game, just check out emberwindgame.com. Nice. And they can get access to your Instagram, your Facebook, and your Twitter from there. Yep. All that is just um, slash nomnivore games. Sweet. Sweet. And like, dude, thank thank you so much for like coming out here or agreeing to do this episode. I'm like, congratulations on everyone being funded because that's super cool. 
Thank you guys for having me. And thank you so much for supporting it to get to that goal, Daniel. I mean, if you're listening and you haven't backed Emberwin, like, go do that. Like, just go do it. (laughs) I I just want to be clear here. Like, this is not a sponsored message. This is not a sponsored message. I just really like Derek and the Nomnivore team and everything that they've done. Like, I'm real hyped. Cool. Like Hopefully, we'll real hyped. make sure that that hype is rewarded and that we keep that hype train going on for as long as possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks to Derek for joining us for this episode of Asians Represent. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Asians Represent is a part of the OneShot Podcast Network. If you head to oneshotpodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like the Broadswords and all women actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast focusing on roleplay, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. If you have any questions about this episode's theme, the games discussed, or anything else related to Asians Represent, get in touch with us on Twitter at A-Z-N-S Represent or at A-Z-N-S Represent at OneShotPodcast.com. I'm Daniel. And I'm Agatha. And you've just listened to Asians Represent! Represent.